0: Chapter Five of Tales of Folk and Fairies by Catherine Pyle. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Recording by William TOMCO The History of Ali Kojia, from the Arabian Nights. In the city of Baghdad, there once lived a merchant named Ali Kojia. This merchant was faithful and honest in all his dealings, but he had never made the holy pilgrimage to Mecca. He often felt troubled over this, for he knew he was neglecting a religious duty, but he was so occupied with his business affairs that it was difficult for him to leave home. Year after year, he planned to make the pilgrimage, but always he postponed it, hoping for some more convenient time. One night, the merchant had a dream so vivid that it was more like a vision than a dream. In this dream or vision, an old man appeared before him and, regarding him with a severe and reproachful look, said, "'Why have you not made the pilgrimage to Mecca?' When Alicogia awoke, he felt greatly troubled. He feared this dream had been sent to him as a reproach and a warning from heaven. He was still more troubled when the next night he dreamed the same dream, and— when upon the third night the old man again appeared before him, and asked the same question, he determined to delay no longer, but to set out upon the pilgrimage as soon as possible. To this end, he sold off all his goods, except some that he decided to carry with him to Mecca, and to dispose of there. He settled all his debts, and rented his shop and his house to a friend, and, as he had neither wife nor family, he was now free to set out at any time. The sale of his goods had brought in quite a large sum of money, so that after he had set aside as much as was needed for the journey, he found he had still a thousand gold pieces left over. These he determined to leave in some safe place until his return. He put the money in an olive jar and covered it over with olives and sealed it carefully. He then carried the jar to a friend named Abul Hassan, who was the owner of a large warehouse. Abul Hassan? said he, I am about to make the journey to Mecca, as you perhaps know. I have here a jar of olives that I would like to leave in your warehouse until my return, if you will allow me to do so. Abul Hassan was quite willing that his friend should do this, and gave him the keys to the warehouse, bidding him place the jar wherever he wished. I will gladly keep it until your return, said he and you may rest assured the jar will not be disturbed until such time as you shall come and claim it ali Kojia thanked his friend and carried the jar into the warehouse placing it in the farthest and darkest corner where it would not be in the way soon after he set out upon his journey to mecca when ali Kojia left Baghdad, he had no thought but that he would return in a year's time at latest he made the journey safely in company with a number of other pilgrims arrived in mecca he visited the celebrated temples and other objects of interest that were there he performed all his religious duties faithfully and after that he went to the bazaar and secured a place where he could display the goods he had brought with him one day a stranger came through the bazaar and stopped to admire the beauty of the things ali had for sale it is a pity, said the stranger, that you should not go to Cairo. You could go there at no great expense, and I feel assured that you would receive a far better price for your goods there than here. I know, for I have lived in that city all my life, and I am familiar with the prices that are paid for such fine merchandise as yours." The stranger talked with Ali for some time, and then passed on his way after he had gone the merchant meditated upon what had been said and he finally determined to follow the stranger's advice and to take such goods as he had left to cairo and place them on sale there this he did and found that as the stranger had promised the prices he could get there were much higher than those paid in mecca while ali Kogia was in cairo he made the acquaintance of some people who were about to journey down into egypt by caravan they urged ali to join them and after some persuasion he consented to do so as he had always wished to see that country from egypt ali kogia journeyed to constantinople and then on to other cities and countries time flew by so rapidly that when finally ali stopped to reckon up how long it was since he had left bagdad he found that seven years had elapsed he now determined to return without delay to his own city he found a camel that suited him and having bought it he packed upon it such goods as he had left and set out for baghdad now all the while that ali kojia had been travelling from place to place the jar containing the gold pieces had rested undisturbed and forgotten in abul hassan's warehouse abul and his wife sometimes talked of ali and wondered when he would return and now he had fared upon his journey they were surprised at his long absence and feared some misfortune might have come upon him at one time there was a rumour that he was dead but this rumour was afterward denied now the very day that ali cogia set out upon his return journey Abu hassan and his wife were seated at the table at their evening meal and their talk turned upon the subject of olives. it is a long time since we have had any in the house said the wife indeed i do not remember when i last tasted one and yet it is my favourite fruit i wish we had some now yes we must get some said abul Hasan. and by the way that reminds me of the jar that ali kojia left with us i wonder whether the olives in it are still good they have been there for some years now yes for seven years replied his wife no doubt they are all spoiled by this time that i will see said abul hassan rising and taking up a light if they are still good we might as well have some for i do not believe ali kojia will ever return to claim the jar his wife was horrified what are you thinking of cried she ali kojia entrusted this jar to you and you gave your word that it would not be disturbed until he came again to claim it we heard, indeed, that he was dead, but this rumor was afterward denied. What opinion would he have of you if he returned and found you had helped yourself to his olives?' Abu Hassan, still holding the light in his hand, waited impatiently until his wife had finished speaking. Then he replied, ''Ali Khojia will not return. Of that I feel assured. And at any rate, if he should, I can easily replace the olives.'' you can replace the olives no doubt answered his wife but that would not be ali Kogia's olives this jar is a sacred trust and should not be disturbed by you under any consideration but though she spoke thus strongly she could see by her husband's face that he had not changed his determination he now took up the dish and said, If the olives are good, I will bring a dish full from the jar. But if they are spoiled, as I suppose they are, I will replace the cover, and no one will be any the wiser. His wife would have tried again to dissuade him, but without listening further, he went at once to the warehouse. It did not take him long to find the jar. He took off the cover and found that, as he had suspected, the olives were spoiled. Wishing to see whether those beneath were in the same condition, he tilted the jar and emptied some of them out into the dish. What was his surprise to see some gold pieces fall out with the olives. Abu Hassan could hardly believe his eyes. Hastily he plunged his hands down into the jar and soon found that, except for the top layer of fruit, the whole jar was full of gold pieces. Abu Hassan's eyes sparkled with desire he was naturally a very avaricious man and the sight of the gold awakened all his greed it had been there in his warehouse all unknown to him for seven years he felt as though he had been tricked for thought he all this time i might have been using this money to advantage by trading with it and with no harm to any one for i could have replaced it at any time i heard ali Kogia was about to return for a while he stood there lost in thought then he returned the gold to the jar covered it over with olives as before and replaced the cover and taking up the empty dish and the light he returned to his wife you were quite right said he carelessly the olives were spoiled so i did not bring any you should not even have opened the jar said his wife heaven grant that no evil may come upon us for this to this remark Abul hassan made no reply and soon after he and his wife retired to rest but the merchant could not sleep all night he tossed and twisted thinking of the gold and planning how he could make it his own and it was not until morning that he fell into a troubled sleep the next day he arose early and as soon as the bazaar opened he went out and bought a quantity of olives he brought them home and carried them into the warehouse secretly and without his wife's knowing anything about it then he again opened ali kogia's jar and having emptied it of its contents he filled it with fresh olives and replaced the cover in such a way that no one looking at it would have known it had been disturbed he then threw the spoiled olives away and hid the gold in a secret place known only to himself about a month after this, Ali Khojia returned to Baghdad. As his own house was still rented, he took a room in a khan and at once hastened to Abu Hassan's house to get his jar. Abu Hassan was confounded when he saw Ali Khojia enter his house, for he had managed to convince himself that Ali must be dead. This he had done to try to excuse himself in his own eyes for taking the gold however he hid his confusion as best he could and made the returned traveller welcome and asked him how he had fared in his journeyings ali kojia answered his inquiries politely but he was uneasy and restless and as soon as he could make the opportunity he inquired about the olive jar he had left in the warehouse the jar is there where you put it i am sure answered abul hassan though i myself have not seen it I do not even know in what part of the warehouse you left it, but here are the keys, and as I am busy, I will ask you to get it for yourself." Ali Kojia made haste to seek out the jar, and was much relieved to find it exactly where he had left it, and apparently untouched. He had trust in Abul Hassan's honor, but a thousand pieces of gold was such a large sum that he could not but feel some concern until he had it in his own hands again after thanking his fellow merchant for keeping the jar more earnestly than seemed necessary he carried it back to his room in the khan and having locked the door he opened it he removed the two top layers of olives and was somewhat surprised not to see the gold however he thought he must have covered the money more carefully than he had supposed he took out more olives and then still more but still there were no signs of the gold filled with misgivings ali kojia tilted the jar and emptied out the rest of the olives so hastily that they rolled all over the floor but not a single piece of gold was there the merchant was dismayed he could scarcely believe that abul hassan would rob him of his money and yet there seemed no other explanation he knew that the merchant kept his warehouse locked except when he was there himself and that no one was allowed to visit it but those with whom he was well acquainted and then only upon special business deeply troubled he returned to the merchant's house determined to demand an explanation and if necessary to force him by law to return the gold abu hassan seemed surprised to see ali return so soon did you forget something he asked or do you wish to speak to me upon some business do you not guess what i have come to speak to you about asked ali how should I guess, unless it is to thank me again for keeping your jar for you? Abu Hassan, when I went away, I left a thousand pieces of gold in the jar I placed in your warehouse. The gold is now gone. I suppose you saw some way in which you could use it, both for your advantage and my own. If such is the case, please to give me some receipt for the money." but i am willing to wait until you can return it to me but i think you should have spoken of the matter when i was here before abu hassan showed the greatest surprise at this address i do not know what you are talking about said he i know nothing about any gold if there was any in the jar which i very much doubt it must be there still for the jar has never been disturbed since you yourself placed it in my warehouse the gold certainly was in the jar when I placed it there, and you must know it, for no one else could have taken it. No one goes into the warehouse without your permission, as you have often told me, and then only for some express purpose. Ali Kogia would have said more, but his fellow merchant interrupted him. I repeat, I know nothing of any gold, he cried angrily. Go away, and do not trouble me any further, or you will find yourself in difficulties." Do you not see how your loud talking has gathered a crowd about my house? And indeed, a number of people had gathered in front of Abul's house, drawn thither by the sound of the dispute. They listened with curiosity to what the merchants were saying, and presently became so interested that they began to discuss the matter among themselves, and to argue and dispute as to which of the merchants was in the right at last ali kojia finding that abul would confess nothing said very well i see you are determined to keep the money if possible but you shall find it is not as easy to rob me as you seem to think then laying his hand upon abul's shoulder he added i summon you to appear with me before the cadi that he may decide the matter between us now this is a summons no true mussulman can disobey Abul was compelled to go before the kadi with Ali, and a great crowd of people followed them, eager to know what decision would be given in the matter by the judge. The kadi listened attentively to all the two merchants had to say, and after reflecting upon the matter, he asked, "Abul Hassan, are you ready to swear that you know nothing of the gold Ali Kojia says he left with you, and that you did not disturb the jar?" "I am." answered the merchant and indeed i wish to swear to it and this he did and you ali kojia have you any witnesses to prove there was gold in the jar when you left it in abu hassan's warehouse alas no no one knew of it but myself then it is your word against his Abul Hassan has sworn that he did not touch the jar, and unless you can bring witnesses to your truth, I cannot compel him to pay you a thousand pieces of gold that you may never have lost. The case was dismissed. Abul Hassan returned to his home, satisfied and triumphant, but Ali Khojia with hanging head and bitterness of heart. But though the Qadi had decided against him, Ali was not willing to let the matter rest there. He was determined to have justice done him, even though he were obliged to appeal to the caliph himself. At that time, Haran al-Rashid was commander of the faithful. Every morning, Haran al-Rashid went to the mosque to offer up prayers, accompanied by his grand vizier and Mesrour, the chief eunuch as he returned to the palace all who had complaints to make or petitions to offer stationed themselves along the way and gave their complaints and petitions in written form to misrar afterward these papers were presented to the caliph that he might read them and decide upon their merits the day after the cadi had dismissed the case of the two merchants ali cogia set out early in the morning and placed himself beside the way where he knew the caliph would pass in his hand he carried his complaint against abdul hassan written out in due form he waited until Harun al-rashid was returning from the mosque and then put the paper in the hand of mesrur later when the caliph was reading the papers he was particularly interested in the one presented by ali kogia this is a curious case said he to his vizier and one which it will be difficult to decide order the two merchants to appear before me to-morrow and i will hear what they have to say that evening the caliph and his vizier disguised themselves and attended only by mesror they went out to wander about the streets of the city it was the custom of the caliph to do this as in this way he learned much about his people their needs and wants and ways of life which would otherwise have been hidden from him for some time after they set out, they heard and saw nothing of importance, but as they came near to a court that opened off one of the streets, they heard the voices of a number of boys who were at play there in the moonlight. The caliph motioned to his vizier to be silent, and together they stole to the opening of the court and looked in. The moon was so bright that they could see clearly the faces of the boys at play there they had gathered about the tallest and most intelligent-looking lad who appeared to be their leader let us act out some play the leader was saying i will be the cadi and you shall bring some case before me to be tried very well cried another but what case shall we take let us take the case of ali kojia and abul hassan we all know about that, and if it had come before me, I should have decided it differently from the way the kadi did. All the boys agreed to this by clapping their hands. The leader then appointed one boy to take the part of Ali Khojia, and another to be Abul Hassan. Still others were chosen to be guards and merchants, and so on. The caliph and his vizier were much amused by this play of the boys, and they sat upon a bench so conveniently placed that they could see all that went on without themselves being observed. The pretended cadi took his seat and commanded that Abu Hassan and Ali Kodjia should be brought before him. And let Ali Kodjia bring with him the jar of olives in which he said he had hid the gold, said he the lads who were taking the parts of ali Kogia and abul hassan were now led forward by some of the other boys and were told by the pretended cadi to state their cases this they did clearly for the case had been much talked about by their elders and they were well acquainted with all the circumstances and had discussed them among themselves the pretended cadi listened attentively to what they said, and then, addressing the lad who took the part of Abul, he asked, Abul Hassan, are you willing to swear that you have not touched the jar, nor opened it? The pretended merchant said he was. The lad then asked, has Ali Koji brought the jar of olives into court with him? It is here, said the boys, who were taking the parts of officers of the court. The faint Kadi ordered them to place the jar before him, which they pretended to do. He then went through the motions of lifting the lid and examining the olives, and even of tasting one. "'These are very fine olives,' said he. "'Ali Kogia, when did you say you placed this jar in the warehouse?' "'It was when I left Baghdad, seven years ago,' answered the pretended merchant. "'Abu Hassan, is that so?' The boy who acted the part of bull said that it was. ''Let the olive merchants be brought into court,'' commanded the pretended Qadi. The boys who were taking the parts of the olive merchants now came forward. ''Tell me,'' said the feigned Qadi, ''how long is it possible to keep olives?'' However great the care that is taken, they answered, it is impossible to preserve them for more than three years. After that time, they lose both color and flavor, and are fit for nothing but to be thrown out. The boys spoke with assurance, for their fathers were among the most expert olive dealers in the city, and they knew what they were talking about. The pretended cadi then bade them examine the olives in the jar, and tell him how old they were. As you see, said he, they are of a fine color, large, and of a delicious fresh taste. The feigned merchants pretended to examine them carefully, and then announced the olives were of that year's growth. But Ali Kojia says he left them with Abu'l-Hasan seven years ago, and to this statement Abu'l-Hasan agrees. It is impossible they should have been kept that long, answered the feigned merchants. As we tell you, after three years, olives are worth nothing, and at the end of seven years, they would be utterly spoiled. These are fresh olives, and of this year's growth. The boy who took the part of Abul Hassan would have tried to explain and make excuses, but the pretended Kadi bade him be silent. You have sworn falsely, said he, and also proved yourself a thief. Then, to the pretended guards, he cried, take him away, and let him be hung according to the law. The feigned guards dragged away the boy who was acting, Abul Hassan, and then, the play being finished, all the boys clapped their hands and shouted their approval of the way the feigned Qadi had conducted the case. Seeing that all was over, the caliph withdrew, beckoning to the vizier and Mesrar to follow him. After they had gone a short distance, Harun al-Rashid turned to the vizier and asked him what he thought of the play they had just witnessed. I think, said the vizier, that the pretended cadi showed a wisdom and a judgment that the real cadi would do well to imitate. I also think the boy is a lad of remarkable intelligence. It is my own thought, replied the caliph. Moreover, I have a further thought you know this very case between ali kojia and abul hassan is to appear before me to-morrow i have it in mind to send you to bring this boy to the palace and i will then let him conduct this case in reality as he has to-day in play the vizier applauded this plan and he and his master returned to the palace still talking of the boy the next day the vizier went back to the court they had visited the evening before and after looking about he found the lad who had taken the part of the cadi sitting in a doorway the vizier approached him and spoke to him in a kind and friendly manner my boy said he i have come here by order of the commander of the faithful last evening when you were acting your play he overheard all that was said and he wishes to see you at the palace to-day the boy was alarmed when he heard this grew pale and showed great uneasiness have i done something wrong he asked if i have i did it unknowingly and i hope i am not to be punished for something i did without intention you have done no wrong answered the vizier and it is not to punish you that the caliph has sent for you indeed he is very much pleased with your conduct and his sending for you in this manner is a great honour he then told the lad what it was the caliph wished him to do instead of being put at ease by this the lad showed even greater discomfort this seems a strange thing for me to do said he to decide a case between two grown men i who am only a child i am afraid i will not be able to please the caliph and that he will be angry with me conduct the case as wisely as you did last night when you were playing answered the vizier and the caliph will not be displeased with you the boy then asked permission to go and tell his mother where he was going and for what purpose and to this the vizier consented when the lad's mother heard that he was to go to the palace to act as judge in a case of such importance she could hardly believe her ears she was frightened lest the lad should in some way offend the caliph by saying or doing something ill-judged the lad tried to reassure her though he himself was far from being at ease if the caliph was pleased with the way i conducted the case last night i do not think he can be so very much displeased with me to-day said he for i feel sure that only in this way can we discover the truth between the two merchants when the lad returned to the vizier he looked very grave and as they went along together on their way to the palace the vizier tried in every way to put him more at ease and give him confidence immediately upon their arrival at the palace they were shown into the room where the caliph was sitting harun al-rashid greeted the boy with no less kindness than the vizier had shown and asked him if he understood the purpose for which he had been brought thither the lad said he did. Then let the two merchants come in, said the caliph. Ali Kojia and Abul Hassan were at once brought in by the officers of the court. Ali Kojia brought with him the jar of olives, for so he had been commanded to do. The Qadi, who had judged between the two merchants, had also been ordered to attend, and he entered and took the place assigned to him the caliph then turned to the lad and bade him open the case by bidding the merchants tell their stories and this after a moment's pause the lad did ali cogia told his story just as he had before stating that he had left with abul hassan seven years before a thousand pieces of gold packed in a jar and covered over with olives is this the jar you left with abul hassan asked the boy pointing to the jar ali had brought into court Ali stated that it was. Abul Hassan, do you also say this is the jar Ali Kojia left with you? asked the lad. Abul answered that it was. He also asked to be allowed to take his oath that the jar had not been disturbed after it was left in his warehouse until Ali Kojia had returned and removed it. That is not necessary at present, answered the boy. First, let some expert olive merchants be brought in several olive dealers the most expert in the city had been sent for and they now came forward the lad asked these real merchants the same questions he had asked the feigned merchants the night before how long said he is it possible to keep olives good and the merchants answered as had the boys not more than three years for no matter how carefully they have been packed after that time they lose both colour and flavour look in that jar said the lad and tell us how long you think those olives have been kept there the merchants examined the olives with the greatest care and then they all agreed that the olives were of that year's growth and quite fresh and do you not think it possible they may have been kept a year or so no it is not possible answered the merchants we know of a surety as we have already said that these olives are of this year's growth and have only recently been packed in the jar when ali cogia heard this he gave a cry of surprise but abul hassan was silent his face grew as pale as ashes and his legs failed under him for he knew that the merchants in saying this had pronounced sentence against him but the lad turned to the caliph and begged that he might now be allowed to hand over the case to him when i pronounced sentence last night "'It was but in play,' said he. "'But this is not play. "'A man's life is at stake, and I dare not pronounce sentence upon him.' "'To this request the caliph agreed. "'Abul Hassan, you have condemned yourself,' he said. "'He then bade the guards take Abul Hassan away and execute him according to the law. "'Before the wretched man was hanged, however, he confessed his guilt "'and told where he had hidden the thousand pieces of gold that belonged to Ali Kojia. After Abul had been led away, the caliph caressed and praised the lad for conducting the case so wisely and with so much judgment. As for you, said he to the Kadi, you have not shown the wisdom I demand from my judges. Learn from this child that such cases are not to be dismissed lightly, but to be inquired into with judgment and care, otherwise it may go ill with you the cadi retired full of shame but the caliph ordered that a hundred pieces of gold should be given to the boy and that he should be sent home to his mother with honour chapter five recording by william tomco